welcome. So glad that you're joining us today as we continue on to this multi-part uh, study of the history of Christianity. We're just in part two, so if this is your first time to join in, you don't have to catch up a whole lot. You can go back and listen to last week's lesson. And in that lesson, we really looked at the early, kind of the early material we have about what happened right after the historical record that we have in the Bible. And we focused on looking at some of the key people that we read about in Scripture, the, the, the apostles that were closest to Jesus, the original 12, Midas Judas, but then adding Paul in. And what we found from that was that there's really not a ton of reliable uh, information about that. We do have some great information about Peter that's very reliable about what happened to him. Uh, we have stuff about Paul. Some of it's not quite as strong as Peter's, but we do have uh, some good stuff on Paul. And then after that, we really start to not have a lot of good information, but yet there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of speculation. There are a lot of church groups uh, through the years that began to try to take some of these early apostles and associate them with their churches in order, in a way, to gain clout and to gain, gain legitimacy. And yet there was no real basis or, or reason for them to do that other than they just wanted to have one of those uh, people's names associated with their church. So I, I would very much encourage you to go back if you haven't already and listen to that episode. It, it'll give you some great information and really help you with some of the things that are kind of out there, things that you read about, and even things that have been kind of taken for granted to be correct, that while they possibly could be right, there's some that are way more reliable than others, and you should take them with a big grain of salt. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But for this week, we're going to continue on in our study and we're going to look at how early on, for Christians, persecution became a big factor. And this really dominated the first 250 years of Christianity. Uh, there was a, a heavy persecution with some times of kind of a relaxation of that that happened. So we're going to look at why that happened. And we're going to look at from which groups that persecution occurred. So uh, in order to do that, we need to first ask the question, how, what did the early Christians, what did they consider themselves to be? Did they think that they were starting a, some, a brand new religion, something way different, something completely different, or something completely new? And the answer to that question is that from the very beginning, Christianity found itself in conflict, but the conflict wasn't because they thought they were something completely new. The early Christians did not consider themselves part of a new religion at all. Uh, we, we understand from reading the scripture that this obviously began primarily as Jewish people who came from the Jewish religion, and they were not denouncing their faith. That's not what they were doing. In fact, they would have looked at it as being going further in their faith because now they believed that the promises of God told in the Old Testament about the Messiah had come true. And they were embracing the plan of God to, to bring the Messiah into the world the way that God planned to do it, not necessarily the way they would have thought it would be done. And that that person was Jesus Christ, and they accepted him as being the Messiah. And so they just really thought that they only differed from their fellow Jewish people in that they thought the Messiah had come. And they wanted other Jews to embrace that as well. So that early Christian message to Jews was not an abandonment of their faith. They were not calling them to leave behind their faith and join something different. They really were in calling them to join in to what they believed was true about that faith, about the Jewish faith. 
and that they could too embrace and understand that Jesus is the Messiah and his, those promises have come. And here's what that means. Here's some things that we believed about that that we got right. And, and here's some things that we believed about that that maybe we got wrong. But now God has clarified it, and, and here's the truth. And so they very much wanted to embrace their Jewishness, and they wanted to continue on as being Jews, not a new religion at all. And you see that even in the way that they went into the Gentile world. They continued on that concept of, of the Messiah. That's a very Jewish concept. That's not a concept that would have been out in the pagan world at all. And if you look at the Old Testament, the promises of God were that the, when the Messiah came, he would draw the nations in. And so, again, they were just thinking they were fulfilling that Old Testament, those Old Testament promises, what God had said to do. And that they were to then now proselytize the, the whole world, the Gentile world, to come into the family, come into the faith, come in to be sons and daughters of Abraham through the acceptance of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so that's the way they looked at it. They didn't think that they were something new. They just thought they were something a little bit different. They looked at things a little bit. How did the, the mainstream Jewish religion look at them? Well, they really looked at them the same way. Judaism, mainstream Judaism, also did not look at Christianity as a new religion. They looked at them as being just another side group within the Jewish faith. And we know that there were plenty of these groups. You can read about them historically in the Bible you read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they had some different things as far as functionality, the way what they were responsible for, but they also had some different beliefs. And one that we read a lot about is their belief concerning the resurrection. The Pharisees believed there would be a bodily resurrection, and the Sadducees did not believe that. So they didn't think that they were not Jews because of that, or they weren't compatible. They just didn't agree on that. And so those kind of issues they were able to overlook, but... What did that mean about a group that came in and said, okay, here's what God was saying in the Old Testament. He, When he was talking about a Messiah, this is what he meant. And, and here's the person who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who you crucified. And he's risen from the dead, and he is God. That was a little bit further than they were willing to accept. So Christianity was looked at as a heretical segment of Judaism. They didn't go along with this, and it was significant enough that they said, we can't, we can't accept you into the mainstream of our faith. They still looked at them as being Jews, but they were heretical Jews. Now, does that thing make things better or worse? Or it really made things worse. Uh, we kind of, as Christians today, we have a hard time understanding what was going on with this. And as we look in hindsight, I think sometimes hindsight is a good thing, but sometimes it causes us problems because we have a hard time relating and understanding the, what was going on in the minds of the people that that were a part of these events and that these writings in the New Testament, the things that were written to them, how did they perceive them? How did they look at things? And when you look at this issue, this can become a problem for us. You read in the Bible through the Gospels and really the, the presentation and the way we read them is that those high-ranking Jewish leaders were kind of looked at and, and presented as the villains of the New Testament and of the Gospels. And we look at them as being bad guys in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's presented there in the text, but the people at the time, they didn't necessarily look at them like that. They would have looked, been looked at as being very devout 
They would have been looked at as being very close to God. They were the people that would have all of the answers. And while there might have been some jealousy, there might have been some people that didn't look favorably on them in some instances or maybe particular ones, by and large, they were respected as the leaders. And so they weren't looked at at the same way that we look at them. And and so we can't necessarily understand how they were looking at these Christians because we believe that they were right about who the Messiah is. And I, I've staked my life on that. You've staked your life on that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we believe he is who he said he was. And these writers presented what he said to us accurately, that he is, in fact, the Messiah that was promised to bring salvation to the entire world. So... We look at it that way. They didn't see it that way. And I think one way we can understand this maybe a little bit easier is to look at what we would consider to be Christian cult groups. So these would be religious groups who would think of themselves as being part of Christianity, but that mainstream Christianity would look at and say, you are heretical. You are not. We can't accept you into the mainstream because you have so disagreed on significant points of orthodox faith and, and belief that we can't, we can't accept that. We can't go along with it. And I don't want to get into a long list of these groups. Some of them are very well known, some are not. But I'll just throw one out there for a frame of reference for you. The Jehovah's Witnesses would fall into this category. They are not accepted by the church, by mainstream Christianity in, in any extent, as being a part of the Christian faith. They understand and recognize that they talk about Jesus Christ and they talk about God, Jehovah God, and the God of the Bible. They talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. They talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we know those terminologies are the same, and, and they look at themselves as being in, a, in a, a Christian faith. But there's just too much, there's too much disagreement. There's too much of a not agreeing on major, major, major points. And so they're not going to be accepted. They're not going to be accepted into Orthodox Christianity, and yet they are in some way a part of it. Uh, just in, they are very heretical in our understanding. So uh, I think we can kind of understand it from that. So this is the way those Jews looked at those early Christians. They were the Jehovah's Witnesses, so to speak, of that day. They were heretical, and they could not be accepted. And they had some good reason for that. There was a fear that a new heresy within Judaism would bring the wrath of God on Israel. And they had some pretty good reasons for believing that. I mean, you read in the Old Testament, that happened many times through the years. The, the nation of Israel deserted the teachings and, and the things that God said were correct, and God's judgment fell on them. And, and they were already living in circumstances that they didn't like. They were under subject of the Roman Empire. They wanted to be independent, of course. Uh, they didn't look at this as being a favorable thing at all. And from their perspective, the last thing they needed was for them to do something that would make God mad and make things even worse for them, make them even more enslaved, make them even more crushed. So they weren't willing to take that risk, and we can you look back on it, you can understand why. I think we can relate to this, and so we can't say that they were correct because we don't believe that they were, uh, but we at least understand and perceive that they had reasons for doing what they did. So they rejected Christianity. They rejected this new 
or this different group within the Jewish faith that espoused that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and not only that, that he was God himself, which was, I'm sure, quite a step too far for them. Uh, and so in most of the New Testament, the persecution that we read about is persecution of Christians from the Jews. Uh, we read that right from the end of the Gospels, at the, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But then it extends into the book of Acts, and you read about the stoning of Stephen. You read about Paul, who on the day that he was converted was on his way to drag Christians back in chains to be judged. Uh, there was a very heavy persecution early on of Christians from the Jews because they believed that they were part of the Jewish faith, but they were a part of a segment that had gotten out of control and had become heretical, and they wanted to put a stop to that. So really even that, that identification with uh, the Judaism probably did them more harm than good uh, when it comes to that. So what did these early Christians do? Well, they appealed appeal to the Roman government for help. Uh, Rome saw Jews and Christians as the same. They were just a, a big group of Jews that were infighting. Uh, they weren't getting along, and that was nothing new for these Romans. They, they knew that that kind of stuff would go on, and they wanted to stay out of it as much as they could. You even read, when we read about the crucifixion of Jesus, <laughs> those leaders were trying to stay out of it. They didn't want to be involved in it. Uh, and that's kind of the Roman government's way of doing business. They would go in. They would uh, take over a country, but they would largely try to keep the culture intact. They would even use local uh, rulers to be still in charge. Uh, religion would be intact. All of that was fine. They would prefer it to be that way as long as there weren't problems, as long as there weren't uprisings or revolts or rebellions or, or trouble headaches that they had to deal with. So they didn't like the infighting stuff, and they didn't want to be involved in it. Uh, but we do see that they did step in at times. We read about that in the life of Paul a couple of times where he had to appeal to Rome to, uh, to get out of some trouble. And they did come through and, and do that, although it did lead to him eventually becoming imprisoned in Rome. Uh, but that's the way they handled it at that time. So as time went on, though, more and more Gentiles entered the faith. And so that distinction between Christians and Jews became clearer. Uh, them coming in led to there being less people of the Jewish faith that were raised in it. And then even the Jews who stayed in it, their children then were not raised in the mainstream Jewish faith. They were raised as Christians. Uh, but these Gentiles really diluted that number quite a bit because it spread in the Gentile world more than the Jewish world. And it became less and less of a problem that they were two distinct groups because really it was for both groups the desire that they be that way. And, uh, and so we see that that kind of uh, became what happened with them. That then led to the next problem and really the bulk of persecution by Christians through the years, and that is the persecution by the Roman Empire. So the Roman authorities began to then recognize the distinction between Jews and Christians as well. They started to kind of clue in that, okay, wait a minute, these are not exactly the same groups. There are some differences here. And so they began to look at them in a different light as a result of that. And this led to two and a half centuries, 250 years of persecution by the Roman Empire. That is a long time. And it wasn't a 250 years continuously, 
but it, it was 250 years of heavy persecution under particular rulers, followed by maybe some periods of peace under others, and then the persecution kicked back up. And it, it just continued on there for that, for that length of time, a long time to be under under heavy persecution there really shaped and formed the church and, and even in a lot of ways resulted in the spread of Christianity through the world. So per, the persecution began at the time of Emperor Nero and it continued until the, con, the conversion of Constantine. And when Constantine was converted, uh, Christianity became the official religion of the majority of people in Rome and persecution began to reverse. So once the Christians kind of main got their way into the mainstream, all of a sudden they began to then turn and persecute other groups, pagan groups. They even began to persecute Jewish groups, and we even see that to an extent to this day uh, in, in recent history of the past, we see that. So uh, interesting, again, the, the group that was kind of the ones that were beaten down become then the ones that do that to others. So it's a sad part of history, but it's so let's look at the persecution under Nero, what was going on. Well, Nero took power in October of AD 54. He became the emperor, and he kind of began his rule in a favorable light. Uh, he was not necessarily the most popular ruler, but he wasn't despised by people. He wasn't hated. They liked some of his policies, some of the things he tried to do. But by about 10 years into his reign, he was absolutely despised by people. They hated his guts. They even had began rumors that the man was insane, that he was crazy, and those persist to this day, that uh, he was a, just a mad ruler. And, and so things weren't going so well for Nero. He was definitely not winning any popularity contest. But then an event occurred that changed his perception and his rule, but then it really changed the course of Christianity and this persecution that came on them. On June 18th of AD 64, a fire broke out in Rome. And this was not just a little fire. This was a significant fire. Uh, Nero was not in Rome at the time, but he still got blamed by the people because they just hated him so much. And there were wild things that, ha that he was rumored to do, basically that he purposefully started the fires to do a litany of different things that people said for his own vain glory. And wasn't true. Uh, even historians at the time would have said and, and did say that he didn't start these fires. But it was still the way that it was being looked at. And no matter what Nero did, he couldn't get that perception to shift and it was causing him some significant problems. And boy, this fire was bad. Uh, the fire lasted six days and seven nights and then it flared up sporadically for three more days. 10 of the 14 sections of the city were destroyed. So it was a significant event. It caused a lot of damage and people were not happy about it at all. So Nero needed to do something. He needed to find a way to shift public sentiment. And he really had, he had a couple of groups that had significant populations in Rome that were not part of the culture. One was the, the Jewish groups, and then the other were the Christians. And Nero decided to blame the Christians. Uh, we have an historian named uh, Tacitus, and he provides some crucial information about the attitude towards Christians by the pagans at that time and their treat, the treatment of Christians by Nero. So I want to read to you a couple of sections from the history that he wrote. This, first of all, is about the, uh, about the blaming of the Christians for the fire. It says, Tacitus says, that, Tacitus says this, 
In spite of every human effort of the emperor's largees and of the sacrifices made to the gods, nothing sufficed to allay suspicion nor to destroy the opinion that the fire had been ordered, so ordered by Nero. Therefore, in order to destroy this rumor, Nero blamed the Christians, who are hated for their abominations and punished them with a refined cruelty. Christ, from whom they take their name, was executed by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius. Stopped for a moment, this evil superstition reappeared, not only in Judea, where was the root of the evil, but also in Rome, where all things sordid and abominable from every corner of the world come together. First, those who confessed that they were Christians were arrested, and on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, although not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. So this was from that historian Tacitus, and it really gives us an idea of what these early Christians were looked at. They were, they were looked at as not a good thing, even at this time. And probably the reasons for this is these were these were people that used to be a part of the of the culture of Rome, the culture of the of the pagan religions, and in their embrace of Christ, they had rejected those things, and so they began to disassociate themselves with the mainstream culture. They weren't a part of a lot of the things that were done in the society because they were things that revolved around pagan worship, and things that the early Christians believed that they were not to do as Christians. So. They kind of disassociated themselves in, in such a significant way that they began to become hated. They began to become looked at as people that just, he even says there, their hatred of humankind. In other words, they just hate people. They hate doing anything people like to do. They don't want any part of it. And, and so that, that kind of gives you an idea of why they would be an easy group for, for Nero to pick out to blame. And then Tacitus goes on, and here's what he says about the persecution of what happened. Uh, quoting from him, he says, Before killing the Christians, Nero used them to amuse the people. Some were dressed in furs to be killed by dogs. Others were crucified. Still others were set on fire early in the night so that they might illuminate it. Nero opened his own gardens for these shows, and in the circus he himself became a spectacle. For he mingled with the people dressed as a charioteer, or he rode around in his chariot. All of this aroused the mercy of the people, even against these culprits who deserved an ex exemplary punishment, for it was clear that they were not being destroyed for the common good, but rather to satisfy the cruelty of one person. So even with, Tacitus does not have any love for the Christians, but yet he said even the people that were not liking them felt sorry for them because they saw that Nero was using them for his own benefit. And the, just the sick things that happened to them under him, it says they were killed by dogs dressed in furs. Uh, they were crucified. We know that's a horrific death. This is another one. In order to illuminate the night, Nero would set them on fire. It's just hard to even for us to have any concept of that kind of thing in this day. And yet so many of our brothers and sisters uh, of the past had to endure this type of persecution by people that did not look at them favorably, but even those that didn't look at them favorably felt sorry for them because of what Nero was doing. So we know that if you, if you listened last week, Peter and Paul were probably victims of the persecution under Nero at this time. And though it was cruel, there is one blessing. It seems that this persecution was limited to the capital of Rome. So we don't really have any other historical documents that are verifiable at that time that tell us that this was going on widespread 
throughout the Roman Empire. It really seemed to be an issue with Nero trying to consolidate his power, and uh, it was kind of something that happened there. So it's an awful thing, certainly not to be taken for granted, but not widespread at the time. So the persecution continued. We see that Nero was deposed in AD 68, and the Christian persecution ended for a time. There was a period of peace for them. But a new emperor came in eventually. Uh, Persecution against Jews and Christians began again under Domitian. And he started to persecute them again. Uh, This persecution seemed to also be limited, like Nero's persecution, to Rome and Asia Minor. We really, again, we don't see a whole lot of evidence in historical records that this was a widespread persecution all throughout the Roman Empire. And again, remember, the Roman Empire spreads out a lot. Uh, It's the known world. It's a significant amount. And so probably there were Christians that were living outside of these areas that were not bothered or it was very much more limited uh, in in escape notice. But in these areas, these high population areas, uh, there was heavy persecution. And in Rome, the extent of the persecution is really not known. Again, we don't have a lot of reliable information about this. If, If you look at the historical record, you'll find There's a couple of people named and don't really even have time to get into a lot of that story. But they're looked at as being in some way part of the Jewish religion. But because of some of the things that are recorded there, there's some suspicion that they may have been Christians and just confused again because the Romans sometimes didn't know how to distinguish the Jews from the Christians. So uh, maybe a couple of people that we know their names that were Christians that were persecuted in Rome during this time, but again, just not a whole lot of information about that. But we do have a lot of information about Asia Minor. Uh, the persecution there led to the writing of the book of Revelation. So when, when we read in Revelation, we find those seven churches spoken of in Revelation were part of a kind of a, a little mail route that was in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and they were definitely, we read in those letters, how they were being persecuted. And, and many of those churches that are named there were dealing with significant persecution. Uh, so this time of persecution was limited to the end of Domitian's reign. After his death, there then became a few years of peace. So they did have a period of peace after this, after they had to deal with this persecution. So this is kind of the beginning of it, to kind of put a synopsis on this and wrap this up. As early Christianity spread, it spread under persecution right from the beginning. We read at that in the Bible. The, the Jews, again, looking at these people as being heretical Jews who were very likely to be bringing God's wrath down on them, they resisted it and resisted it to the point that they, if they had had their way, they would have been out killing them. I mean, we read that that's what, in a lot of ways, they wanted to happen and asked to happen. So heavy persecution among the Jews early on. But then that shifted as the distinction between the Jews and the Christians became more clear. And less and less Jewish people were part of Christianity and more and more Gentile people became part of it. It just disassociated with itself naturally. And really both groups wanted it that way. Uh, But then with that, we have the... um, we have the time of this persecution under Rome. And that, again, goes for 250 years, a significant amount of time. It begins there with Nero and uh, continues under Domitian. So, so far we've looked at a limited persecution, very bad persecution, especially some of the details we have about Nero, but a very limited persecution. But 
as we get into the second century, we're going to begin to look at some more very wide, extensive uh, stories about persecution. So next week, we're going to look at this continuation of persecution among the church. And you may be thinking, well, why should we really get into a lot of that? Well, it's historically relevant, obviously, but it's really relevant in the way that Christianity spread and the way it became from being a persecuted, hated group to being the majority of the Roman Empire, uh, becoming Christian even to the point that Emperor Constantine uh, became a Christian. So looking at how that happened and how really this, this bad persecution probably resulted in a wide-ranging spread of the church, that's very important. So again, next week we're going to look at more of that. We're going to look at how that continued on uh, through the Roman Empire in the second century and expanded itself. And, and then in the weeks that follow that, we're going to start to look at some of those early church leaders, and we're going to look at some of the theological issues that began to pop up. And we're going to look at some of the early teachers, names that you're not going to read about in the Bible, but they are very influential when it comes to theology that we have today and how we understand and read God's Word and what we think of as being correct. So uh, I'm excited about that. I hope that you'll continue on with the study. Uh, we're almost at 30 minutes now, and I promised you last week that we're going to keep these sessions to 30 minutes. So I just want to end by uh, reminding you that the information that I'm using for this study is from a book that you can read. It's a great book called The Story of Christianity. There's two volumes of it that I've read. Uh, this is from the Story of Christianity, Volume 1, that goes from the early formation of the church all the way up to the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So uh, this particular study we're doing will go through that time period, through this book. And it's written by uh, Justo L. Gonzalez, a great author, very well-researched, very good book. I definitely encourage you to read it, but we're going to be using this as source material as we go through this. So again, I'm so glad that you were part of this study. I hope that you'll continue on with it. If you have any questions that you want to make sure that I specifically address or if anything that I said that you have questions about, you can certainly reach me. Uh, I'll be glad to, uh, to, to look at those. So if you go on our church website, simontonchurch.org, uh, you can look up the staff. My name is Kenny Johnson. I'm the family pastor here. You can find an email link for me there. And again, I would love to, uh, I would love to answer any questions you have or make sure that I cover issues that you want to be covered. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Hope that you have a great rest of your week, and I look forward to talking with you again next week.